0: There's something wrong when a tradition flies in the face of the Word of God. That's the problem we have here in Mark chapter 7. A lot of man-made tradition that was being made up at that time that was contrary to the Bible. What is the final authority? Is it man-made tradition or is it the Word of God? And let me just say at the outset here, listen very carefully, because every single person here and every single person listening needs to make a decision. I just stand here as a, a voice today, but ultimately... You're going to have to come to terms with what you're trusting your eternity-bound soul in. It's your eternity. Is it going to be some unscriptural, man-made tradition
1: or the Word of God? The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience, and now, here's Pastor Skevin.
0: Well, let's take our Bibles, please, at this time, and turn to the Gospel of Mark in the seventh chapter, Mark chapter seven. Last time we saw Christ had fed the 5,000, remember that? And that they wanted to take him by force and make him king. Well, that wasn't his plan at all. He didn't come to rule and reign, at least not yet. He came to suffer and bleed. And so he he sends the crowd home and uh, walks on the water that night, just a typical day for the Lord. And anyhow, the next day, he meets up with the crowd again, and they have the bread of of life discourse. We didn't really cover that, but it was the place where the crowd began to thin out. They became disenchanted with the Lord, and they left Him and walked no more, and that was all right. He was there really to focus the bulk of His time anyway on the twelve disciples. They were a piece of work, weren't they? (laughs) And so He goes to work on them. But in the midst of that, this scenario takes place here in the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 7. It says, Then came together unto Him the Pharisees, And certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders." And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold as a washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Well, then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. He said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that's the Bible, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered in many Such like things do ye. Now, we have a question. It's an important one, very important one to answer today. And it really boils down to the Bible or man-made tradition. Which should we go with here? Well, let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage and the questions it asks and answers. And Father, we just pray for your help now to understand it and to make a spiritual application. We pray it all now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, tradition is something that all cultures have. The fact I'm standing up here right now, and many of you men are sitting there with a suit and tie on. I mean, why do we do that? <laughs> why would we do that? This thing chokes us. A woman must have invented the tie, huh? Amen? Because no guy in his right mind would do it, but it's, it's a tradition. We, we wear suits. You know, we have other traditions. Um, in this country, we fly flags, we have monuments, we uh, hold holidays, there are birthday traditions, there are um, uh, like holiday traditions like um, um, the Macy's Day Parade or eating turkey on Thanksgiving, um, there's the Rose Bowl around the first of the year, and and we all have these traditions and there are things that, that we've come to know here. Well, even churches have traditions, I mean we have them here, we, we have church services at certain times. And we have so many services a week. We come in and there's an order of service. We'll sing a song. We'll pray. We'll sing another song. We'll make announcements. We'll sing another song. And and, and on and on. And and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with those kind of traditions. But there's something wrong when a tradition flies in the face of the Word of God. That's the problem we have here in Mark chapter 7. A lot of man-made tradition that was being made up at that time that was contrary to the Bible. What is the final authority? Is it man-made tradition, or is it the Word of God? We know this about the Word of God. It was inspired by God. Holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we know it's God-breathed. We know it's God's Word. The inspiration has not continued, though. That has ceased with the completion of the book. Now, something else about the Bible is it interprets itself. You hear that line, don't you? Well, it's all in how you interpret it. Well, you compare spiritual things with spiritual things or scripture with scripture, and you'll come out at the right place because the Bible is meant to interpret itself. Also, did you know that when it was written or inspired, one third of it roughly was prophecy, in other words, predictions. And who but God can say, this is going to happen hundreds of years from now, and it always comes to pass. Most of it has come to pass. So we have the credibility behind it. We also know that it's going to be there on Judgment Day. The final thing we're going to be judged out of is not some church catechism or some writing out of some city, some place by some religious guru, but it's going to be the Word of God that we're going to be judged out of when that day comes. We also know that it's the source of truth, It's the pathway to finding God. It is the guide through this life and into the next life. It is the one thing, according to Psalm 138, that God exalts above His name. So it's pretty important. It's pretty precious. And yet there are those who take tradition and put it next to the Bible and say, well, we have to follow both of these. In fact, there's a catechism of a certain denomination, and this is from their very own writings. Do we get the Bible alone, or do we get from the Bible alone, all our knowledge and certainty about what God has told us? No. What? No. There is also sacred tradition. What is tradition? The Word of God handed on to us by the apostles in their preaching and by their successors in the church to the present day. Do we have to believe in tradition? Yes. We are obliged to accept all the truths contained in the Bible and tradition. Well, there's some false assumptions being made here. (laughs) One is that there's an ongoing inspiration. In other words, anyone can come along and say, I got something from God and this is a new revelation, something we add to the Bible. Secondly, that they are the church and have the right to do this. More about that in just a little bit. But that church over the years has come up with all kinds of traditions. For example, in 1854, they invented that Mary was immaculately conceived just like Jesus was. And as recently as 1950, they invented the teaching that Mary bodily ascended up to heaven just like Jesus did. And there are many, many other things down through the years they have come up with that are contrary to the Word of God. Now, we find this in Isaiah 8.20. If they speak not according to this Word, the reference being the Word of God, it is because there is no light in them. So it's a work of darkness and one to turn away from. And let me just say at the outset here, listen very carefully, because every single person here and every single person listening needs to make a decision. What are you going to stake your eternity-bound soul to? What the Word of God teaches? Or some man-made tradition that has come along since or even before and been added to the Word of God? Because it's your eternity, and you have got to make that decision. Now, by way of background here, we have Christ encountering The Pharisees, again, figures, they're always chasing them around. And we find out, first of all, we see in them this tragic spirit. In verse 1, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. Figures, right? Doesn't it? Here's the Pharisees, they're always gunning for Christ. They're always squinting trying to find something he's up to here because they're just super jealous and super desperate and they're trying to defame him and trying to smear him and trying to malign in some way the Son of God, the Holy Son of God. And so in verse 2 it says, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. They found fault. Let that expression reverberate in your mind just for a moment here. They found fault. Fault. Do you know anyone like that? I pray you're not like that. <laughs> but there are a lot of people like that. We call them fault finders. We've had them in this church over the years and. You'd swear they have a degree in it. You know, they majored in it. It's almost like a, a disease with them or a sickness and, and almost something they need a, a support group for. You know, fault finders unanimous or Pharisees unanimous or something like that. Because if there's something being done wrong, you can bet on it. They will find it somehow. It's like a disorder. You, you just wish they would leave it alone and wish they'd let it go. But they can't. That's the Pharisees. They can't. If somebody's doing something wrong, they are going to find it. Every church has them. By the way, I never delegated anyone for that job here. Uh, Not that I can remember, really. We, We don't need anyone like that, okay? But every church has them, nonetheless. Yes, we ought to have standards. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We ought to have convictions. But the Pharisees were over the top. They were out of balance here. They were always doing, uh, trying to find somebody who was doing something wrong. And there's people like that. I think their self worth must be based on them finding somebody that's not being as good as they are. And their ministry and their life really is, is built on rules and regulations. That's just the way they're wired. Now, let me just give you a very important verse here. Every Christian needs to eyeball this. Good. Psalm eighty five ten says, "Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness." And peace have kissed each other. You have two things mentioned twice that are polar opposites. And one, you've got maybe the the law and, and justice, and you've got over here mercy and grace. And it's describing how they've found a balance, they've struck up a chord, they've met together, and they've kissed. Jesus Christ had the perfect balance of justice and mercy, his disciples didn't. He was continually working on them. They were wanting to call down fire on the Samaritan. Oh, they didn't receive us. Should we call down some fire here? You know, if anyone needed any fire on their heads, it was the Pharisees. And Christ even looked past them. Christ continually taught them mercy with uh, tax collectors like Zacchaeus, with women taken in adultery, or the woman at the well. They were very self-righteous. Now, let me just say this. Mercy is not a license to be carnal. Because there's a new evangelicalism today that has taken this to an extreme as well. And it's, it's a license for them to be worldly and to act carnal. And they compromise. It's a free-for-all. Somebody who wants to take uh, grace and liberty in Christ and just run with it, that's not a good sign. That's not even a good sign of salvation. And it's not the way to be rewarded when this whole thing is over, folks. We read in 2 Timothy 2.5 that if any man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned or rewarded, except he strive lawfully. That verse is simply saying, if you and I compromise and you and I try and cut corners, we won't be crowned. We won't be rewarded. That is displeasing to the Lord. That's what happens when we lose our balance. And there are a lot of compromising Christians who are going to enter into heaven, but they're going to get their Empty handed. And while they're here, let me just say this. If you're a Christian who kind of likes to uh, take it to the edge here, that's not the way to be blessed of God. That's not the way to receive God's blessings. In fact, God will make you miserable if you're truly saved and you're always trying to live on the edge or over the edge. You're going to forfeit some blessings. You're going to wonder why others are being blessed and you're not. And God will also even go beyond that and squeeze you in some areas. It might be health. It might be finances. But if you're his kid, according to Hebrews 12, he will take you to his woodshed if you're trying to live like that. You'll also have to live with a guilty conscience and you'll live miserably. It's not worth it. We read over in 1 Corinthians 11 that if we would judge ourselves, <laughs> we should not be judged. That makes sense? If we would keep ourselves in check and keep our own balance God wouldn't have to deal with us. But if we're doing stuff we shouldn't be doing, or not doing stuff we should be doing, we're going to hear from God, because we know in our hearts we shouldn't be doing this. Now, the unsaved can get away with that stuff. Don't compare yourself to them. Don't even compare yourself to anybody. There's others that get away with it, but if you're truly saved and you know better, God will be dealing with you. He'll be eating your lunch, maybe. But we find this in verse 2, that when the Pharisees saw some of Jesus' disciples eat bread with defiled, or what we should call unwashing hands, they found fault. Why? For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. Now here's the, the, the Pharisees. They were all law and no love. It was all external with them. They had nothing on the inside. They were as hollow as an empty barrel. And in John 5.42... Jesus said to them, but I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. They went around like they cared, and they were trying to please God, and keep His commandments, and keep everybody else in check. And Jesus saw right through the charade. He said, I know you, you have not the love of God in you. It was all external. In verse number 4, it says, When they come from the market except they wash, they eat not. It says, And many other things there be which they have received a whole... They are doing all kinds of stuff, but it was all external. Now, let me just say this, because somebody will go to the extreme and say, well, okay, we can just be sloppy then. No, there's nothing wrong with, with trying. There's nothing wrong with doing your best. I had somebody this last week, and, and, and uh, they were trying to compromise and justify it and get my explanation on it and I, I explained it to them they said well it, all that matters is is you know um is if we're trying to live right and and uh and trying to uh be be uh, you know uh, be faithful and all that it doesn't matter if we do this other stuff and i i said ma'am um you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater and we are not to live mediocre lives in fact we read this in 1st corinthians 14:40 let all things be done decently and in order God wants everything done decently and in order. Don't misunderstand. I mean, read the instructions on building the temple sometime. I mean, it's just detail after detail. And he said, I want it done like this. And so, you know, grace is not an excuse to cut corners and it's not an excuse to sin. The heart is deceitful, folks, and we'll take it to one extreme or the other. But the problem with the Pharisees is it was all external. They were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. And there's nothing wrong with washing your hands. He mentions that here. And you go, I'll just not wash my hands anymore. Don't, don't go to that extreme. And don't touch my food unless you've washed your hands. <laughs> my, my family will tell you that. I don't like being sick and I haven't missed a day's work in decades. And it's not by accident. I think we should be wise and take some precautions and show some common sense. But the problem with the Pharisees is they had a shallow religion. A shallow religion. Nothing on the inside. And so they had to wear it on the outside, the phylacteries and the garments and, and all this kind of stuff, A lot of like a, a lot of religion today. We read in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 3 that the, it, the, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, God says, from such turn away. It's all outward. It's all show. It's all external. And, and, and it has a form of godliness, but it, God's not within 100 miles of it. And there's, there's a lot of religion. Maybe you grew up in it. Where you get this tingle, you walk in, and all that religious stuff is there, kind of ooh, and and uh, but you leave empty, you leave dry, and if you stay in something like that, and you're thinking, and you do it long enough, the day will come where if that's the extent of your faith, you're going to go, what good is it doing? And the Jews of old asked that Malachi three fourteen, ye have said it is a vain, or it is vain to serve God, and what profit? Is it that we have kept his ordinance? I mean, you just you drive yourself with that continually. All that religious aura and all, all that, that, the regs and, and rules and the law, pretty soon you're going to get beaten down to where you go, what good is this doing? And there are a lot, of, a lot of religious, sincere religious people who are keeping a lot of man-made tradition that are thinking, wait a minute, what is this doing? What good is this doing? We see here, first of all, a tragic spirit, but secondly, we see about this this turnabout surprise. They think they're going to corner Jesus. Jesus turns the tables on them. And in verse number 5, then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? But eat bread with uh, unwashing hands. Now again, nothing wrong with tradition within itself. I, I like uh, going around at Christmas and looking at Christmas lights. I like having ham on Easter. And there's nothing unscriptural about those things. But but note this. Uh, in Second Thessalonians 3.6, it says, Withdraw yourself. Paul's talking to a local church. He says, Withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. The religious groups that are into tradition like to use this verse. Because you read it on the surface and you go, well, see there, he's endorsing tradition. And saying to withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. But keep in mind, at this time, we were getting a completed Bible, right around 60 AD, and the doctrine was being gathered in, and it has since been cemented. I'm going to show you in just a little bit. No more new doctrine. Now, the apostles were inspired. And they were getting the Bible at that time. It was being completed, but it has now been completed. Secondly, I don't have any problem with any tradition that does not go contrary to the Bible. We're fine with that. But the real rub, folks, is any tradition that does contradict the Bible. Here's what we're told in Colossians 2.8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, After the tradition of men, after the rudiment or elements of the world, and not after Christ. Anything that is not after Christ, any man-made tradition, we're told to beware of it. It's vain deceit. Now, notice what Christ has to say in verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Notice what he called them. (laughs) You hypocrites. Wow. Wow. that's pretty rough, isn't it? There are a number of times Christ referred to those guys as hypocrites. I point this out because there are a lot of people who think Christ was a cream puff and uh, just everybody's friend and never condemned anyone. You know, people are funny. When it comes to uh, medical issues and their they're primary physician, they want the truth. Give it to me straight, doc. When it comes to their financial advisor, Boy, give me the straight skinny here. I I want the truth. But when it comes to spiritual matters, they want a cream puff. They want it watered down. It's like, wait a minute, you'll get over a bad investment. But some clergyman who leads you astray because he's trying to be everybody's buddy, you'll curse him for all eternity. There's something far more important than your portfolio or even your health. It's your soul. Where are you going to spend forever? You know, evidently, there's a time to call a spade a spade. And Christ says, ye hypocrites. I mean, He just calls them what they are in verse 6. And they were hypocrites. And then He quotes to them from Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. Wherefore the Lord said, Forasmuch as this people draw near Me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor Me, but have removed their heart far from Me. And their fear toward Me is taught, notice this, by the precept of men. In other words, just stuff men made up. Just man-made doctrine. Man-made tradition. Men no different than you or me, who just lived back yonder somewhere and suddenly decided to make up some religious thing and, and add it to this bundle of already religious stuff. And we find a condemnation in the Bible for doing that. In verse number seven, Jesus goes on. He says, how be it in vain do they worship me? Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, saying, well, this is a doctrine. No, it's not. It's a commandment of men. And he says, in vain do they worship me. You know what that word vain means there? It means it's useless. It means it's worthless. They are wasting their time. They are worshiping in vain. You know, I think of all the thousands of men who died fighting for Hitler in World War II. And we would say, they died in vain. Isn't that tragic? I mean, they just... No purpose to it. Well, you know, the Bible mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, your faith is also vain. There are some who have a vain faith. It's worthless. It's useless. It doesn't do them any good. And one day, they're going to stand before God and realize all that religion they were following that that flew in the face of the Word of God didn't do them any good. And they're going to say, I went to church every Sunday for that. I got up and got dressed and went, to, and, and went through that stuff and I gave up my sleep and it wasn't even the truth. They're going to be upset. It's all man-made. All those prayers I was repeating by memory were vain, worthless. There is such a thing as praying in vain. Christ condemned it. In Matthew 6, 7, he said, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they should be heard for their much speaking. I used to pray this way. Some of you used to pray that way. By rote, by memory. Just bo- 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 just over and over and over again. And Christ calls it vain repetition. It's worthless. It's useless. And he says it's heathen-like. In verse number 7, again he says, How be it in vain do they worship me? Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. There are those who are worshiping Christ in vain. They are praying to deceased saints in vain who cannot do them any good. They are baptizing babies and calling it uh, the washing of their sin and that they're now a child of God. And that's a tradition. It's not biblical. It's not even true. They're confessing their sins to a clergyman who's as big a sinner as they are and cannot forgive their sins. That's vain worship. We read this in Titus 1.14 not giving heed to fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. There is a lot of man-made religion out there that is turning people from this book, from the truth. You say, how do you know that's the truth? Jesus said so in John 17, 17. We'll look at it in a moment. He said, thy word is truth. So we know where the truth is. But at the last part of verse 7, Christ speaks of teaching for doctrines The commandments of men. Just some man-made stuff. We read this in Colossians 2 and in verse 22, which all are to perish after the commandments and doctrines of men. You follow that stuff, it'll take you out into a Christless eternity. You will perish, which all are to perish after the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, man-made tradition, man-made religion is attractive. There's something about human nature that wants to invent its own stuff and, and, and claim authority to do it. And there's a, there's a huge misunderstanding here. That crowd will say, well, Jesus said whatever you bind on earth uh, will be bound in heaven. God will ratify it and God will sanction it and God will recognize it. And they're taking that totally out of context here. What they have done is they've shifted the basis of authority from God's word to man-made stuff and justify it. Well, God's fine with it. And what they've done is invent a synthetic religion. It's not biblical at all. It's not sanctioned by heaven. We find in verse number 8, at the beginning, Christ says, For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. Notice that word, tradition. The tradition of men. Unscriptural, unbiblical, extra-biblical tradition. We read this in 1 Timothy 4.1, that in the latter times... Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, and the list goes on, but it's just some tradition that some men made up over the years. And it's not put in a flattering context. It's a departure from the faith. It is giving heed to seducing or demonic spirits. It is unscriptural. It is a, a, a violation of truth. And... Uh, And what we find here is that this crowd was guilty of it. The Pharisees and the scribes were guilty of it. And they come to shoot at Christ, and he shoots right back at them here. We see this turnabout surprise, but thirdly, we see the trumping scripture. The trumping scripture. Now, in verse 9, Jesus said unto them, Full well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Jesus tells us plainly, the word of God trumps man-made tradition. We read part of this a moment ago in Isaiah 29. Verse 13 says, Wherefore the people said, For as much as this people, or the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips to honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, taught by the precepts of men. Taught by the precepts of men. Unscriptural precepts, unbiblical precepts, man-made religion that sends people to hell. This is dangerous stuff, folks. We read in 1 Peter 1.18 that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, received by tradition from your fathers. That's not how you get to heaven. That's not God's plan of redemption. You're not redeemed by that tradition stuff. Jesus Christ gives us some examples here in verses 10 through 12. He mentions Moses. Now he's back to the Bible again. This is what the Bible says. Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. And whoso curseth father and mother Let him die the death. Boy, I'll tell you, disrespect to parents was a serious matter in biblical times. It's not today, sadly, and we have a mess in this world because of it. But Jesus said, God laid it out for you back yonder. But in verse 11, he said, but ye say. In other words, they made up their own rule. If a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban. Now you say, what's this? Well, Corban was something they could claim that uh, took any money they had, and earmarked it for uh, uh, the temple or the priests. Leave it to the Pharisees to make up something that says, you don't have to take care of your parents in their old age. You can take your finances and, and send it this way. As greedy as they were, it figures, doesn't it? And, and, and so they make up this rule saying, you can send it our way and you don't have to take care of your parents. And that way kids are saying, well, man, I got I to gotta hang on to my funds because mom and dad are getting old and I got to take care of them. And they had it totally backwards. And Christ rebukes them for it. They had made up their own tradition. It was just part of what they had done. And, and he said in uh, verse 12, You suffer that guy no more to do aught or to take care of his father or his mother. Anything that would butter the bread of the Pharisees or pad the pockets of the scribes, they would pass something, some rule. And it was underhanded. It was diabolical. And, and it stunk. And Christ pointed it out. He said, You hypocrites. Getting on me for not washing my hands? Really? Really? He said, look what you guys are doing. And they're following some man-made tradition that flew in the face of the Word of God. He said that the Bible is, is what trumps everything. So we see the tragic spirit. We see the turnabout surprise. We see the trumping Scripture. Finally, we see this tradition. Tradition substituted by the heathen crowd. In verse 13, he mentions making the Word of God of none effect Through your tradition. I want you to eyeball that statement real good. Making the Word of God useless or none effect through your tradition. You know, in 1545, a mainline denomination declared that tradition was equal with the Bible in authority. And when the two conflicted, in cases where they clashed, that tradition overruled. They went with tradition. You know, There's a misconception. First of all, this group thinks they have the authority to do that. Uh, They don't. They don't. They think they're the one true church. They aren't. But let me add something to that. The Bible closes with this warning in Revelation 22.18. Christ says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Can you connect the dots there? He's talking about hell. The plagues are in hell, folks. And he says, if anyone adds to this book as I'm closing it out here, they're going to hell. They're cursed. They're condemned. That's strong. Now, let me just give you a thought here. (laughs) And this is extra, no charge. But if there is any denomination that could lay claim to apostolic roots and apostolic succession, it's the Anabaptists. If you study the doctrine of the Bible, we pass the doctrinal test. If you study true history, it proves it as well. I'm simply saying, we pass the antiquity test, and and that's not by our admission, it's by the admission of historians from the other denominations. They will say there were Baptist churches since the first century. But in light of all that, no one still has the authority to add to the Word of God. And we don't. Our position is the Bible only. The Bible only. And... Christ says he testifies to every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book if any man shall add unto these things God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Don't add to the Bible. Don't mess with the word of God. You open Pandora's box it becomes a free-for-all. Anyone can come up with a doctrine and say, okay, i, I got something, and this is, this is as good as the Bible. And it's a free-for-all. There have been uh, television uh, evangelists down through the years who have said, God appeared to me, he was 900 feet tall, and he told me, you know, raise money for this hospital. If, he, if I don't raise six million, he's going to call me home. And, and, the, and you got other cults coming along saying, well, i got a divine revelation, and, and i got these special tablets and glasses to read them, and I deciphered them, and now we got another testament. And we can add it to the Bible. And we No, no. God's smarter than that. Okay? And so it's not a free-for-all. He said, this is it. Don't add to it. Don't add to it. God's wise enough to know that the Bible needs to be the final authority and tradition and all other writings and all other revelations takes a back seat. You know, the, the biggest violation and, and the saddest one as well is how to get to heaven. When you have a, a man-made tradition that comes along and teaches, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do the other thing. And everybody has their do list. Have you noticed that? This is what their list says. And you got to do and do and do. What's the difference between man-made salvation and biblical salvation? Man-made religion says get baptized, join a church, take communion, do this, do sacrifices, sacraments, all, all this other stuff. And do your best. And when you die hopefully your good will outweigh your bad and God will let you in. And that's not scriptural at all. They say do, do, do. God says done. Jesus said, it is finished. Remember that? Last words before He died on the... It is finished. I've paid the price. I've made the final sacrifice. The final blood's been shed. It is finished. Place your faith now in that act. And by grace you'll be saved. Admit you're a sinner. You need a Savior Christ died to save you. He shed blood for you. He loves you. And now you accept what he did as the only payment, plus nothing, minus nothing, for your sins, and you're born again the Bible way. When anyone else comes along and teaches anything else, it is tragic. And again, that verse with a little bit extra added in 1 Peter 1.18 says, ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So, the Bible or man-made tradition, it's really your decision, it's your soul. I just stand here as a a voice today, but ultimately, you're going to have to come to terms with what you're trusting your eternity-bound soul in. It's your eternity. Is it going to be some unscriptural, man-made tradition or the Word of God? You know, I can tell you what ultimately is going to come of all that other tradition. Because Christ told us. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 13, every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted should be rooted up. And there's been a bunch. Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted, all this tradition, man, has added, it's going to be rooted up. It's going to be rooted up. You know, in John 12, we don't have time to turn there, but we find Christ tell us in verse 48 that at that final judgment, We are going to be judged by the words he spoke. Where they recorded the Bible. He's saying the Bible is going to judge people. In Revelation 20, at that great white throne judgment, it's the word of God that's going to be there. And we're going to be judged out of the things written in this book. Now, let me give you a quick thought here. Again, John 17, 17, Christ says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about his church. By the way, the church is not some ecclesiastical hierarchy, some big system with a a pecking order. Churches in the Bible are all individual, local, autonomous churches. And there was only one at that time, and it was in Jerusalem. So he's praying for them, sanctified them, his church members, his disciples, through thy truth, thy word is truth. This is the truth. The Bible is the truth. And in John 8.32, Christ says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. On March 5, 1981, somebody took the Bible, opened it, and showed me the truth about God's plan of salvation. It was jaw-dropping to me. I was believing all this man-made tradition. Maybe Maybe you're part of a religion that has buried the truth under a mountain of tradition. And you really need to think here. The Bible again says, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. Does it line up with the Bible? And if it doesn't, we're told to come out from among them. Come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. You shall know the truth, Christ said, and the truth shall make you free. If you're here today and you've already been saved and and you're part of a Bible-believing church... I hope it's rekindled an appreciation for the Word of God. What we have here, the the true and the final authority, what God has inspired, not what man has made up, what will guide us through life and and into the next life, the Word of God, the pathway to find God, the thing God uh, holds over His own head and His names and says, I exalt this even that high, the thing that will be there at the final judgment,
1: the Word of God. Thank God for it. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.